But we're, we're so glad that you're here today. Um, Mike and I have two girls, Alyssa and Rachel. Um, Alyssa's eight and Rachel's six. Well, Rachel lost another tooth this week, and it just happens to be the second front tooth. So she, say hi to her today when, when you're leaving and just make her smile because just that smile will make your day. Um, because of that, there was a lot of discussion about the tooth fairy at our house um, this week. And can I just, just be real honest and just say the tooth fairy at our house is a very unreliable, um, flaky character. Um, I mean, there are times that she forgets to come all together. And then, um, I mean, the amount that she leaves totally varies. It's like, it's like she just gives whatever she has in, in her purse that day or something. I don't, I don't know what is up with the tooth fairy at our house. I don't know how the tooth fairy is at your house, if, you're, if the tooth fairy still frequents your house or not. It depends on if you have kids. Well, a couple of nights ago, um, I, I helped Rachel put her tooth under her pillow, and, uh, and she said, you know... Mom, I don't know what I believe about the tooth fairy, but I know I'm not going to say I don't believe in her, because if you say you don't believe in her, then she doesn't come. <laughs> and so being the curious mom that I am, I said, well, 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 what do you, what do you believe about the tooth fairy? And, and Rachel said, well, I know she's not a person because no one's going to come into our room at night. I'm like, phew, I'm glad she, she knows no one's breaking into the house at night. And then her sister Alyssa, who's laying next to her, pipes up and says, well, you know, it could be mom. And, <laughs> and, I, and I looked at her. Rachel turns around and looks at her kind of like, what? And I look at it and I say to Alyssa, could it? And then she looks at me and says, well, probably not, but it could be. And then uh, that gets Rachel thinking in her little creative imagination. She says, well, maybe God has a shrinkinator. And this is Phineas and Ferb. If you've seen Phineas and Ferb, maybe God has a shrinkinator and he shrunk an angel. And the angel's the tooth fairy. And then she says, you know, well, maybe, maybe the tooth fairy is just God. And at this point, the mom guilt is starting to really creep out. I'm like, well, this so- socially acceptable lie that I've told my child is starting to really mess with her theology. And so I step in and I say, you know what? The tooth fairy's not God. Okay, God, tooth fairy, totally, totally different concepts. Um, and both girls kind of are like, you know, mom, but it could be because God can be anything he wants to be. I'm like, well, that's really hard, really hard to argue with. But then I just, you know, did the mom thing and just shut it down. Say, nope, tooth fairy's not God. Tooth fairy and God, two separate, two separate concepts. But I have a feeling from this conversation that belief in the tooth fairy is, is short-lived, at our house, that we're, we're approaching um, a season in their lives where their experiences and their knowledge of life um, is, is, isn't going to align with the belief in the tooth fairy. And that's, that's probably pretty okay. So today we're talking about belief. So I thought that was kind of a fun story to, to start off with because we're talking about belief in our series, Belong, Believe, Become. And for us, belonging comes first, and it's very important. We talked about Jesus demonstrates radical inclusion and radical love. And then we talked about what belonging looks like in the church. And now we're going to talk about belief. What does it mean to believe? And what are experiences that lead us to belief? So 
um, for our, before we get started, for, just to, for clarification, I want to define belief for us because a lot of people define it as just an acceptance of something that is true or something that exists. I'm going to take it a little step further and say that belief is a conviction that leads to action. So it's something that, that we know is true and real so much that it affects our lives, that it leads to action. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of look at uh, an overview of Jesus' interactions with his disciples and see what are, the inter- uh, what are the experiences that led them to believe in Jesus. Experiences that led the disciples to belief. So the first thing we're going to look at is the fact that Jesus invites his disciples to follow. So there is a specific invitation. In Mark 1, this is just one of the instances in the Gospels where it records um, Jesus' invitation. In Mark 1, verse 16, it says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. What I find interesting is that Jesus gave a specific and clear invitation to these men. He, he was speaking personally to them, and he said, come and follow me. The message in that is that I'm, I'm choosing you. You matter to me. Um, I want you to be a part of this. And in that time in society, being called, being asked to follow a rabbi was a really big honor. And it was usually just bestowed on the people who did really excelled in their schools, who really excelled at memorizing the law, the scriptures. And it was unusual, I could even say unheard of, for that honor to be bestowed on a fisherman because fishermen weren't, weren't that high on society's totem pole. They were kind of low um, on, on that scale. And um, it was, they were not the type of people that society would typically honor in that way. And Jesus called fishermen, and he called regular people. He called tax collectors, and tax collectors were another group, group of people that, that society did not really like, did not did not like them. And Jesus invites his disciples to follow him. Another experience that led the disciples to belief is that Jesus spent time with his disciples. And I love this one because this is God comes down in human form and he's willing to spend time with the people that he calls. In John 3, 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. Talks about how they, they preached and they baptized people. In Luke 8, verse 1 and 2, again, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. These people followed him, and they would walk with him and travel with him, and they would spend time with him. They would listen to him teaching. They would see the miracles and the healings that he did every day. It was Jesus' ministry lasted about three years, and he spent a lot of time with his disciples. That, that speaks um, to me, because in our, in our very busy, activity-driven lives, 
time is a precious commodity and time is not something that I always have to give a lot of. And so that kind of hits home when I, when I think about how Jesus really spent time with his disciples. He spent time with people. Another thing that Jesus did and kind of goes hand in hand with the spending time is that he ate meals with his disciples. He, in Luke, um, it records eight different special meals that Jesus had um, with a group of people, and, and it happened frequently, so there's a lot more than that. But just the fact that there's eight recorded in one gospel just tells you that this was really important to Jesus. In Luke, in fact, he was actually questioned on this practice by the Pharisees, because again, in that society, you only ate with the people that um, you deemed valuable enough to eat with that were that was socially acceptable people kind of at your level of society and so um, the Pharisees questioned Jesus on this practice in Luke 5 starting in verse 27 it says after this Jesus went and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth follow me he said to him and Levi got up left everything and followed him Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, Why do you, you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And in this passage, you see all those, all three of those things. You see Jesus calling a specific disciple um, named Levi. He's also known by Matthew, same guy, who's a tax collector. And he calls him, and then he spends time with him by, by eating with him. And he's actually um, holding a great banquet for Jesus. I've lived in different countries, um, and, and I can say this with confidence, that across cultures, eating together is a really special thing. Eating together is a sign of friendship and a sign of valuing each other. Um, in Africa, when, when you go to someone's house, they, they, they'll get meat out. They'll kill the chicken for you. Like The fact that they're bringing you a big, fancy meal is a big deal. It's a, it's a sign of respect and friendship and of value. And Jesus is using these experiences, the fact that he calls people, the fact that he's spending time with them, that he's eating with them, um, to deepen the disciples' belief that Jesus wants to know them personally and wants them to be in relationship together. So, so these experiences that Jesus is creating are starting to deepen the di- disciples' belief or even lead them to belief uh, for the first time. Another experience that leads the disciples to beliefs is just hearing Jesus teach. And Jesus teaches his disciples, I mean, throughout that whole ministry. In Matthew 5, verse 1, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And, I mean, there are introductions to things, parables and things that he says um, over and over that starts like that. He started to teach. He started to teach them. Man, I wish I could have been there to hear the words right out of Jesus' mouth. 
Because imagine how powerful that would be um, to experience Jesus' words face-to-face like that. And I think God used that experience to help the disciples better understand who disciples better understand who God is and who Jesus was and what it meant to be a Jesus follower. Another experience that Jesus created for the disciples was he invited the disciples to participate in his ministry, to step beyond what was familiar and what they already knew, and to learn from experience. And, and as a teacher by trade, I know that I can tell people, I can tell my kiddos at school what they need to know, but it, they won't learn it as well as if they're actually doing it, if, if it's hands-on, if they're working through problems. And so that's what Jesus does. He asks his disciples to participate in his ministry. Um, I want to look at two stories here. They're similar stories. One's the feeding of the 5,000, and, and the other's the feeding of the 4,000. And what's interesting is the feeding of the 5,000 happens in a Jewish region of Israel, and the feeding of the 4,000 happens in a Gentile region. Uh, It's still in Israel, but there are a lot more Gentile cities there. And so it's kind of interesting to see the differences there. In John 6, verse 3 through 9, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish, Jewish Passover feast festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now that word test is interesting in there. It's not a test as in, I'm going to test you because I know you're going to fail. You know, it wasn't a malicious testing. It was more like a challenge, like a teacher getting their student to think deeper. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge their thinking a little bit. And so Jesus asked the disciples, where should we buy bread for this great crowd of people? And Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. And another, Uh, of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And so Jesus kind of sets up the the scene for them, and they, they get right off the bat, they get, this is impossible. There's no way that this is going to work. There's no way that we can do this. And yet Jesus begins to ask his his disciples to participate in what God is doing and what he has planned here. And he asked his disciples to direct the crowd to sit down. And so the, the, the disciples go and they tell people to sit down. And then he takes those five loaves and two, two fish and says a prayer over them and starts to break up the food. And then he gives the food to the disciples and asks the disciples to, to pass it out. And people eat, and then when after people have eaten, he asks the disciples, well, go, go now amongst the crowd and gather the leftovers. And there were 12 baskets of bread left over, way more than what they started with in the beginning. And you can see how Jesus is using these experiences to help lead his disciples to believe. This is what I can do, participate and see the power of God. And then um, shortly after that, there's a feeding of the 4,000. 4, 
We'll read the, uh, the version in Matthew this time. So Matthew 15, Jesus calls his disciples to him and says, I have compassion on all these people. There's a huge crowd again. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And we've already fed the 5,000, and they've already picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. And Jesus kind of presents the same question to them, a different setting. And they're still kind of lost. Have the disciples forgotten what Jesus did? I don't think so. But I think when, when we're coming, when we're on the road to belief, when we're on the road to, to really believing that something is real, it takes experience after experience for that, to really, that truth to really sink in. And the, the disciples' minds, still their go-to thought wasn't that Jesus can do anything, that he's God. And so it takes experience, experience after experience for them to really solidify that belief. And so similar experience, uh, similar circumstances, and the disciples pass out the food, and then Jesus asks them to collect the baskets, and this time there's seven baskets of leftovers, which is kind of cool. The numbers are kind of symbolic in Scripture often. The 12 baskets um, in the Jewish region likely is symbolic for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the seven baskets in the Gentile region, seven is often is a number often symbolizing like completeness, fullness. And I, and I like to think of it as the inclusion of everybody. And, and Jesus is, had, there's seven baskets left in the Gentile region indicating the inclusion of the Gentiles. And these experiences deepen the disciples' belief in Jesus' power and his authority. And there's one other type of experience that I want to talk about today that Jesus invites his disciples to, and it's that of service and that of lifting up the vulnerable. So um, there's a story in Mark where James and John come, and, and their mother, their mother was involved in this one, but they come to Jesus and say, hey, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? Can we sit beside you? And that basically was asking for a position of honor. Can we be the greatest amongst all the disciples? And the other disciples were pretty frustrated with them for asking for, for this special privilege. And Jesus answers um, in, in Mark 10, verse 42. He calls them together, all the disciples, and he says, You know that those who re- are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exert, exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for for many. So Jesus takes their belief in what it looks like and what it means to be great, to have those positions of honor. And he kind of turns that upside down. And he says, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And as my disciples, then the position of honor, the, the, the place of greatness in, in this community 
is to be the servant, is to be the, the servant of all. And Jesus continually models this, um, serving people and elevating those who have lowly positions, elevating the, the marginalized, the vulnerable. Um, I won't, I won't go there, but in Mark, uh, in Matthew 19, there was a time when, um, parents would bring their little children to Jesus to lay their hands, uh, so Jesus could lay his hands on them and he could pray for them. And, uh, you know, in our culture, we'd be like, oh, that's so sweet. And yes, we would do that. In that culture, that was unheard of because children weren't precious there. They were, children were kind of the lowly. And so they weren't as treasured. And so the disciples said, you know, rebuked the parents and said, go away. Jesus doesn't have time for the little kids. And Jesus said, yes, yes, I do. Bring them to me. And he prayed over them. There's another instance where there are blind men shouting at Jesus as he walks by. And, and the crowd starts rebuking them. Quit, quit shouting at Jesus. Quit trying to get his attention. He doesn't want to heal you. You're just a blind man. He doesn't want to talk to you. And, um, and Jesus stops and says, no, I do. I do want to talk to the blind man. I do want to heal the blind man. <coughs> the last example that I, that I have today is Jesus washing his disciples' feet which was usually a job for the lowliest of, um, of servants because they, they had either were barefoot or sandals, and, and Jesus washed their feet. In John, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, his outer cloak, and returned to his place, and he says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have said to you, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So Jesus takes this position of service and humility and compassion and love, and he says, this, this is what I want you to do. We see in how Jesus interacts with his disciples that he's leading them, them on a journey of belief. He's calling them. He's spending time with them. He's teaching them. <coughs> he's serving with them. Um, and, and as he, as the disciples experience these things, their belief kind of sank deeper and deeper into their hearts. And the thing that, that these experiences all have in common is that the disciples were with Jesus. The disciples were in the presence of Jesus. Um, and they were realizing who he was. They were seeing his, his power and they were experiencing his love and his compassion. So after having looked at how Jesus interacts with his disciples in Scripture... I want us to think about ourselves, and as um, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're just considering it, but just think of ourselves as followers of Jesus, as disciples, how we need those same types of experiences to lead us to belief, and maybe belief for the first time, or maybe it's just a deeper belief, um, just to go deeper and to trust God more. Um, in our faith journey. And so looking at that same list, Jesus invites us to follow him. Jesus invites us personally 
to follow him. And Jesus invites us to spend time with him. And it's not in bodily form anymore, but um, spend, spend time with him in a, in a real relationship, connected, um, powered by, by prayer and connection and the Holy Spirit um, living inside of us. And Jesus also wants to spend time with him by spending time with other disciples to talk about Jesus. Jesus ate with his disciples, and though we don't get to eat with Jesus, you know, at the table, um, we get to eat with other Jesus followers. And I find it interesting that Scripture says where where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there also. Well, Jesus is also when when it's with us, if it's just us. But there's something special about coming together. There's something special about that that table fellowship and that community there. Jesus invites us to learn from him. And though we don't get to sit um, at, at his feet on a mountain and hear, hear his sermons and hear him teaching, um, we learn from him through scripture and through Bible study. We learn from him through conversation with other people. We learn um, from Jesus through, through, through the process of, of walking with someone um, who's experiencing something in their life, and you're going to God for them. This, this idea of discipleship and walking with someone, experiencing things with someone. Jesus also invites us to participate in his ministry, um, to, to open our eyes to see what God is doing around us and to ask where can we participate, where can we join in, to ask for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus, to pray for people or pray with people, to set good examples of, of godly living and to do good in his name. Jesus also invites us to serve and lift up the vulnerable. And I love that because we are all created in the image of God and the idea that we get to um, value people, show value by, by serving and lifting up the vulnerable and walking with people that our society might consider less in some way. And as we experience these things, our belief in God and our relationship with Jesus deepens. So maybe we're, we're coming to, to know Jesus for the first time, or maybe we've known him, we know him, but our, our belief and our relationship deepens. And we come to know him in a new way. And, and this belief multiplies into more trust and more faith in God. And that anchors us in his love. And it's a beautiful, beautiful journey for us. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And sometimes we let it end there. It doesn't end there. It's not just for us. As disciples, we're also called to disciple others by creating these types of experiences for others, both in the church and in our personal life. And this is where, um, for a lot of us, things get a little intimidating. <laughs> and Because uh, we're much more comfortable focusing on our beliefs and our faith and, and our relationship with God um, than, than focusing outward and sharing this faith and, and sharing what Jesus means to us. But being a disciple that is a follower of Jesus also means that we disciple others. And, um, and that takes some explanation because it kind of, it's not a word that we use 
um, a lot, and so it can sound intimidating, but really that's pointing other people to Jesus. It doesn't have to be um, super complicated. I have a definition up here uh, of discipleship, a lifestyle of following Jesus. So that's us following Jesus, growing in our beliefs and faith, reflecting Jesus' love to others, and then inviting others to follow and walking together as we follow Jesus together. And, and I want to take a look at the experiences that Jesus had with his disciples and see if that can kind of guide us in how we can then disciple others and create these experiences in our church and in our personal lives where we can lead people um, closer to belief. And this journey happens um, before people decide they want to be Jesus followers. It, it's kind of before and during and after. It, it's, it's this journey of belief. So looking at that same list, um, inviting people to follow Jesus with us. And this may be the first thing we say, or, or a lot of times I think this is much later on. There are some people that I've met who I've just met them, but they are interested in learning about Jesus, and they know I'm a Christian, they know I'm a Jesus follower, and so they'll ask, tell me, tell me about, about this Jesus. And so like right away the door is open. And so for some people um, like that, I can, I can very quickly um, invite them to follow Jesus with me, invite them to church or Bible study, talk to them about Jesus, or just share my personal faith and share what God is teaching me. For most people, I'd say that the, the next point on the list is where we'd start, is spending time with people and building relationships, um, doing fun activities together, going out to coffee, um, eating together. Again, something powerful about that table fellowship, you know, food, that universal need that, that builds relationships around the table. And this is where, in our order of belong, believe, become, the the spending time with people and eating together, that's really part of the belong. That just, you belong no matter what. Whether you believe or not, you can belong. And then learning together from Jesus. Um, some of us are called to be teachers of the word and to speak publicly and to preach and to teach classes and to write books. Um, but not all of us are called to be those public teachers but all of us are called to learn together from Jesus. And I love that distinction because for some people they say, well, since I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher, I don't have to do that teaching stuff. Well, we're all called to learn together. So what does that, what does that look like? Um, inviting a friend or two to learn with you would, would, could look like just sharing your experience. Here's what I'm learning in my faith right now. Or, hey, let's read scripture together and let's just see what, what stands out to us. What do we learn about God? What, what can we apply? Praying together, asking questions together. I really don't get this about faith. I really don't get this about God. I don't understand how this works. And just asking questions together and, and trying to sort through some of that, and sharing the struggles and joys um, in life as a Jesus follower in, in what's going on. So I love this idea that we can all learn together. 
participate in the ministry of Jesus together. Jesus was about loving people and asking, how can I participate in his ministry? How can I show God's love at home, at church, in my community? Who can I be praying for? Who can I serve? Who can I bless? And and engaging opportunities as they come. And, And to serve and lift up the vulnerable in our community. To go out of our way to value people that society might not value to value people that aren't the most popular at the, in the workplace or to show value to people um, who a lot of others would kind of stay away from. And, and that's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing. The key words in this list would be invite and together. Invite and together. So the idea of discipling someone doesn't mean that you have all the authority and you're the teacher and they're the student. It's that we're invited to go on a journey together and we'll grow and we'll learn together. This idea of a journey of belief in being a disciple, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful gift that we've been given. The idea of being a disciple means that we get to follow Jesus, actively follow him in our life. And then we also get to invite others to join us and walk with us as we move towards Jesus. So I don't know where, where you're at um, on, your, on your journey right now, on your journey of belief, on your journey of faith. Um, maybe for you, the application piece is, is you need to spend more time with Jesus to be in his presence, um, to spend more time with him, to, to pray, to read scripture, to learn more, to participate in his work and learn by experience. Maybe for some of us, um, the application today is, is more on the other side, that we need to be discipling people. We need to invite someone to walk alongside us and start creating some of those experiences that might lead to belief. Um, And it doesn't have to be rocket science. Things like going out to eat together and talking about faith, um, prayer, reading some scripture together, asking questions. But I want us to, I want to challenge us to think about what does it mean to be a disciple this week in my life? What is it that I need to do um, in my personal walk with Jesus, and what is it that I need to do is I, I think about creating experiences that would lead to belief um, in the people around me. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for um, how you came to earth and how you walked the earth. Lord, how you spent time with people and how you loved people. And God, how you have given us um, this example and how you have drawn us close and you want to spend time with us and you want to walk with us. And God, we recognize what a gift that is. And Lord, we also recognize that you've called us to draw people, to, to invite people to come with us and to point people to Jesus, saying, God, we just ask that you would help us to follow and help us to disciple others. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.